You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Matthew Phillips, a media producer. Matthew shares memories of growing up along the coast of tropical North Queensland and his early enthusiasm for cameras, photography, boats and sailing. Matthew reflects on his diverse range of professional experiences and roles, working as an apprentice sailmaker, a soldier in the Australian Regular Army, posted on peacekeeping exercises in Namibia, Northwest Africa, as a police officer, and more recently as a media producer and filmmaker. Matthew outlines his most recent role as producer of The Wild One, a micro-budget short film currently in final post-production, set on the North Queensland coast in the mid-1800s. The film tells the story of British shipwrecked sailor James Morrill, rescued by the indigenous Birigubba people, with whom he lived for 17 years before reconnecting with European culture. Matthew outlines some of the practicalities of producing a short film, with insights into the protocols and on-the-ground interactions with local indigenous people relating to actors, approvals, locations and crew as well as content, language and translations to ensure story accuracy and authenticity. Matthew emphasises the importance of engaging with the broader understandings of historical events, such as actively exploring Indigenous perspectives and points of view when expressing history on the screen. Matthew offers further insights into the importance of trust connection to the land and to people, and the creative and practical dynamics between a director and a producer. Here's my conversation with Matthew Phillips. So hello, Matt. Good to see you again. Hi, Mark. How are you going? Very good, thanks. Had a very busy day doing some teaching and other stuff. Excellent. um, We're here to talk and find... Oh, well, we want to find out a bit more about you. So... I was wondering when, how far back, you know, it's up to you, but what sort of things were you interested in when you were younger? And I guess how do they relate to what you're doing now? Mm, okay. Yeah, well, thank you for, uh, for inviting me onto your podcast. Uh, very much appreciated. Um, well, basically, when I was a young fellow, um, I uh, was very interested in photography. This was probably back in very early days of probably when I was five years old. So we're going back to the the mid-70s, I suppose, so, <laughs> just to give you some idea of uh, where I've come from. And um, I was a really keen photographer. Um, my mum brought my first little brownie camera and I used to run around with that taking photos of little garden gnomes and anything that was in the garden I could sort of uh, get my hands on and get a nice sort of position to take a photo um and then uh my schooling um sort of fell apart a little bit when my parents um got divorced so um i sort of lost my way there for a little bit and eventually my mum had to move um uh to a warmer climate because she had a uh, lung infection so we um packed up our bags when i was seven years old from sydney and headed to port macquarie and we stayed there for about five years in Port Macquarie. And uh, I was a bit of a lost soul then. I was still trying to pick myself up of, you know, a bit of a, a trauma in my life and my parents um, broke up and trying to find my way. Uh, schooling was just a blur, but I really loved sailing. So I focused mainly on my hobby at the time, which was sailing. And uh, Port Macquarie still wasn't hot enough for my mum's health condition, so we headed further north. Um, this is going now up to North Queensland area. Um, we ended up settling in a little place called Bowen, which is uh, probably a two-hour drive south of Townsville. Um, beautiful little town, beautiful beaches, and um, 
it was at that stage I, I sort of woke up to myself a bit and sort of become more focused in this um, tropical area. It was just a, a mind-blowing for me to be up in this area I've never seen before, but the beaches were beautiful, the weather was warm, and uh, I sort of got a keen eye for photography again, started to do some more photography work. Um, my mum had a uh, SLR camera at the time and she wasn't using it. She used it on a trip overseas once and sort of didn't use it after that. So she was a hand-me-down. So uh, this is still the era of film. We actually put the film in the camera and take your 25 photos and then send it off to the get developed. Uh, and that really fascinated me, you know, wait, waiting for those photos to come back and looking through, oh, that was a good photo and oh, I could have done that one better and... Um, so I had a, a keen eye for photography from a young age, um, but my my sailing was prime center focused. Um, I love sailing, getting out on the boat and just sailing in the tropical waters of North Queensland. Uh, a good friend of mine, we used to go out whenever we could, you know, like after school or on the weekends, you know, you wouldn't find us mucking around with other kids. We'd be down in the sailing club, pulling the boats out of the club and just going sailing. And, you know, sometimes we'd end up, you know, packing a little picnic, a little picnic, sort of not a basket, but just a stash of food and head off about, you know, like 10, 20 nautical miles and find an isolated island and pull the boats up and, yeah, have lunch and, and just uh, have a really good time. So that was my upbringing as a, a teenager um, in, in North Queensland, which was, uh, as, as I mentioned, it's just so um, vivid. And, and, and I've done things in North Queensland I'd probably never do in my entire life. Like we used to go out rabbit hunting and, you know, uh, shooting for rabbits, going camping, would pull up in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, make a fire and, and, and uh, you know, have a, a rabbit for dinner, which was, you know, this is my childhood. And uh, sometimes we'll end up going to the reef, you know, we'd take a friend's boat out there and go fishing and um, pull up the big reef fish and, and come back in. Um, a friend of mine also used to always go out in our BMX bikes and explore the area, explore the town, and, um, put our our tent strapped to our back, you know, and just have a, didn't even have a sleeping bag. We just had a tent, you know, a tin of baked beans or whatever it is and made our little campfire and, and camp there. Um, so I had a, a really um, fantastic sort of upbringing when I think about it, you know, like I did so many things that probably young people didn't do at uh, my, my age. Um, Sounds very vivid and all like enveloping almost or something like that, like you're kind of in it. Yes. Yeah, it was very vivid and and you're, you're alive. There was no mobile phones, no, no, no games or anything like that. You just created your own fun, your own entertainment, you know, and that, that was our, um, our life back then. And, uh, and then I come to the point where it was year 10 and at that stage I, I had enough of schooling and I thought, well, I've got to get apprenticeship. Um, so my passion was still sailing and I wanted to be a boat builder and I wanted to build boats, you know, like wooden boats. And at the time my dad said, like, he tried to guide me away because he's a boat builder himself at that stage. It was a bit of a, a dying trade, you know. So um, my uncle was a sailmaker. So that was my next preference. And sailmakers were still in fab, you know, it was all good. So I packed up my bags, uh, left my family in Bowen and headed to Sydney and uh, found my first apprenticeship at a sailmaker called Hood Sailmakers. And it was the first sailmaker I actually walked, <laughs> I walked through the door and just said, look, I'm looking for an apprenticeship. I'm from North Queensland. And they sort of looked at me a little bit odd and strange and thought, well, if you can come all the way from North Queensland and knock on our door, you've got your apprenticeship if you can come back here um, after school's finished. So that's what I did. School finished and yeah, basically started an apprenticeship there. Um, did two years at apprenticeship. Um, we were making sales for the America's Cup stuff and Sydney to Hobart. And then... Um, as usual, I get bored quite quickly. 
And uh, I met up with a friend. He was in the army and he said, oh, we're having such a fantastic time in the army. We go out and do exercises. We've got guns and flares and tanks. And so (laughs) he sold me on the idea of uh, the army. So um, I left my apprenticeship behind and joined the Australian Regal Army and um, did my training in Kapuka for uh, six, three months in Kapuka. And then went to my uh, core trade, which was uh, engineering, and uh, did engineering um, with the School of Military Engineering, which was in Moorbank, Sydney at the time. I just went past it the other day. It's no longer there. It's a whole new different place. Um, And after I did my training, um, they said, where do you want to go? Put in your preferences. And Townsville was my number one preference. So I ended up going back to Townsville. Um, with um, Chazine Parrix in Townsville. And uh, my first um, so-called um, exercise was Shoalwater Bay, as they do. And then we got back from Shoalwater Bay and they said, you're on a peacekeeping mission to Namibia, Southwest Africa. Wow. That's what I said. Wow. <laughs> So what did you do? Pack your camera up and head off? So basically, yes, I kept the same camera that my mum gave me the first time and uh, we, I packed up my gear. They took us over there. The whole trip actually went over there, um, uh, 15 Troop 18 Field Squadron. We headed over there with my little camera in my uh, side of my pouch and just um, when we got over there, Definitely a contrast of life, you know. It's a it's a culture shock, and um, in what way? Well, basically, um, because South Africa at the time it was just coming out of a war, you know, 20, 25 year um, civil war, guerrilla war. Um, the um, Republic of South Africa was withdrawing their troops, which was part of the United Nations Agreement. And we were basically coming in to get rid of all the unexploded ordinances, like your minefields, your mines, your uh, ordinance rounds, etc. And um, it was just a culture shock that, you know, we were encapsulated into this um, barracks, which was a school environment. But once you go outside that, it's completely different and you know, uh, I remember vividly, you know, the, the, the garbage truck, we had a garbage truck that would do the run to the garbage once once a day. And before that truck could stop at the garbage dump, there was kids as young as 8, 11, 12, jumping on the back of that truck to get the food out and handing it down to their brothers or sisters that were down the bottom just to survive um the conditions were that bad there um but i managed to capture a lot of this just on my little camera which you know still had the film rule roll in it and uh basically came back um did my service there our common uh, received a commendation for our service from the united nations and at that stage you know i, I my life in the army i thought was enough moved on and I uh, started to really think about life, you know, and go, what do I really want to do? You know, what's my life all about? And I remember when I was small, I just said, look, I really wanted to be a policeman, you know. So it goes, Matt, off on another journey. Um, so I joined the uh, Queensland Police Service, um, became a police officer, still stationed up in that North Queensland area of the, you know, Bowen Townsville area, did my... Um, I service to senior constable and um, got itchy feet again <laughs> and headed off again. So um, that was at the point of my marriage breakup. Um, I got married in uh, Townsville and um, I think that was a real shake-up for me when uh, I got divorced and um, moved back to Sydney and came back to where mum was living, which was basically the family home in Sydney, and then had time to refocus on what I really wanted to do again. And um, I still love photography, you know, and at this stage I picked up my first video camera 
and saw that and went, wow, this is so cool. Uh, and I was just filming anything, anywhere, any place, any time. Uh, I ended up going to uh, uh, the 90th anniversary of um, the Anzacs in Gallipoli, Turkey, and I filmed the whole trip while we were there. Um, and that was my first documentary I did with my video camera, actually. And uh, I just loved it so much. I just had to um, continue this path of um, video camera work. You know, how can I get a job? You know, and people were starting to ask me to film their birthday parties with their kids and then weddings and all this sort of thing. And then I'm like, I wonder if I could do this as a job, you know? <laughs> so uh, what happened was um, my workplace at the time was often offering voluntary, voluntary redundancies. And I just saw that as a another opportunity to take a redundancy and um, go and study film production for the first time. And uh, I did my research, and out of all of them, I went, okay, well, SAE would be the one. I could accelerate a, a degree within two years and get my um, film production uh, degree, and that then I can get a job, you know, as a, a producer or whatever it may be. So that's what I did. Two years, I went to SAE, did my um, bachelor's, bachelor's degree in film production, and then after that, couldn't get a job, so I started my own business. And uh, and the rest is a bit of history. Um, we yeah, started uh, Trigger Media Productions. Um, we were filming anything to do with video cameras, whether it was a, a webinar, lecture, conference, seminars. Uh, it was mainly we focused on non-for-profits or uh, associations. And um, then we also moved into making short films and web series. So, and that's where I actually met um, our current director, uh, Nathan Corhoon, um, where we sort of bonded with the right sort of principles. And um, from there, we just, yeah, went on and to make um, quite a lot of short films from there to, uh, yeah, one we're currently working on, uh, just finishing up on at the moment. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So you mentioned this short film, The Wild One, that you've been working on for a while. What's what was what is that about? I mean, has it been released or what's the what where is it in its production phase? And yeah, how did it come about even. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, the the wild one is a, a short film. It's about James Morrell, um, who basically was a a, a British. Um, he was actually from uh, Essex uh, in England, um, and British sailor back in the mid eighteen hundreds, and um, he was on a, a ship called the Peruvian, um, which basically was shipwrecked off the North Queensland coast around that eighteen. Uh, 46, uh, a thousand miles off the actual North Queensland coast. And um, it, uh, it it's a story about his survival. Um, he survives uh, 42 days out at sea on a raft with 22 other people to finally land on the North Queensland coast with only seven of them, seven of them still uh, alive uh, that survived that journey. It doesn't um, sound like a very. It doesn't sound particularly pleasant with that number of people, and then the the number of people that survived. Like the practicalities of that sound quite extreme. Yes, the 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 survival of just on that raft is an, an epic tale in itself. Um, but his whole life story is uh, it's just full of like it, it's a it it's a series in itself. Um, but what we're trying to do is actually compact it all down into the crucial point of um, where he's actually uh, rescued by uh, an indigenous mob called the Biragaba. Uh, and this is at a time when there's, there is no white people 
in North Queensland. And, you know, the Berrigabah mob have never seen white people, let alone, you know, trying to rescue seven people that survived a 42-day trip. So uh, on their first encounter with um, the survivors, because uh, they're all Europeans, they, they thought they were ghosts, actually. They were quite scared of them, thinking here's these white-skinned people, uh, and they're actually very hesitant, very cautious of it, but they're walking up to them and touching their skin to see if they were actually rural or if they were actually a ghost. So, how do um, they know? Um, how do you know all this? Like, you know, just in t- I'm assuming yeah, there was some research done, but I'm just we wondering. did. Yeah, it, it's fantastic actually because uh, the director, uh, Nathan, um, because we always bump heads together about what we're going to do the next short film on and we're always looking for ideas that pop up. And one day he said, oh, Matt, check this out, you know, and let me know what you think. So he sent me this article and I had a read of it and it's like, oh, yeah, the, you know, James Morrell, what's this about? And it was about, yeah, his story. And it was up in North Queensland. I'm going, North Queensland? Well, this sounds a bit interesting because, you know, I'm from that area with my childhood and that, and I, wow, where was it located? Bowen. Bowen? What? That's where I went to school. What's this about? about? So I kept reading the story, and it was, yeah, it was obviously about James Morrell and European um, that spent 17 years with the Birragaba mob before, you know, he went back to the European lifestyle um, to actually help the Biragaba mob um, basically get land rights on that land as the the white um, pastoralists were, were moving forward back in those days. Um, so obviously there was a few massacres that happened back then and um, all his uh, mob were actually getting killed. So he thought the best way for him to help his people, his mob, was to actually go back onto the European side and lobby the government to stop the killings and to give them land rights to the the lower swampy areas, which weren't no good to any cattle or sheep or grazing, and you know give them the, the high dry country, which is you know best for for cattle and all that sort of thing. But from what we understand, the the, the government of the day didn't want anything to do with it, and obviously the massacres and the, the frontier pushed further forward. So um, so the story goes that apparently, yeah, after he returned back to civilization, he uh, became the harbour master in Bowen. He'd done another trip north and basically was part of the one of the people who discovered uh, the area where Townsville is today, uh, was one of the first peoples to buy a block of land in Townsville. Um, but it was only uh, a year later that he passed away and um, a lot of the research points towards that he, he died of a broken heart where he couldn't go back to his his mob because of the um, the issues that, you know, the whites weren't supposed to um, congregate or live with the uh, Indigenous mob at the time. So, but what, what really made this story stand out for me was the fact that uh, as I mentioned, I went to school in Bowen and I remember distinctly on the this primary school there was this wall and there was a mural on it. And the mural was of a white European man with a big beard, looks very shabby, and then two Indigenous figures sort of standing side by side. And there's a, a like a ship in the background for a ship. And I'm sort of looking at the mural going, what, what is that about? You know, like, you know, no one told me what it's about. And I'm looking at it and going, I've got no idea what that is about. And I was only like 12, 13 at the time. And um, I really didn't know, you know, what that story was about until, you know, I read the research that the director just gave me, Nathan. And uh, it all related back to James Morrell and his journey and his shipwreck and who survived and 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 who kept him alive and the 17 years he spent with the mob and could learn like five different uh different languages um and communicate and that's one of the reasons why when he returned back to the european side that they made him the harbour master 
he could speak those five different languages and communicate with different mobs as he went further north up the coast to discover more land. He's like between worlds type thing. He is, yeah. So it's just a fantastic epic story and it's just like, you know, it's a bit of a coincidence that, you know, well, it is Nathan. It's it, yeah, <laughs> quite a coincidence. <laughs> Nathan found the story and he said, check it out. And he had no, and Nathan had no idea that I lived in North Queensland as well. He, he, got, he didn't have any idea of my past. So he's just, you know, flicked it to me and said, what about this epic story? And, and yeah. you're in the role of like a, the producer, I'm imagining. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm a producer. So um, I looked at it and just could see. It's a fantastic story, epic tale, epic journey, uh, like, you know, Robinson Crusoe sort of thing. And, and you know, I just got back to him and said, we've got to make this. This is, you know, it's, it, and, and I even went into more research before I even got back to him because I just wanted to hammer, you know, what's this story about? You know, I know it's got to do, you know, I just wanted to find more about James Morrell and, what what it was all about so. so what do you what do you do at that point like in terms of like if you're wanting you, your aim is to make a short film and you're in the role of the produce as a producer and then you've got um other people on board like the creative the part of a crew forming so yes. what what and then you're doing research so then what sort of things like how do you proceed or how did mm. you proceed yeah, so we, we basically, yeah, we both go with the tick to say, let's proceed with this. And uh, so our first thing was, okay, well, we need in, Indigenous actors. We need locations. We need approvals. Uh, and uh, we also need a budget. So all those things is like, okay, well, we normally go through this process with every short film we make. Um Cast are normally no problems. Uh, crews normally no problems. But in this case, it was a problem because we needed Indigenous cast. We really didn't have any experience before with dealing with Indigenous cast and Indigenous people. So what I normally do in, in most cases, I go back to like the Screen Australia website and I start researching all that stuff of, okay, dealing with Indigenous content and uh and, and people um so i read the i read the protocols there and uh so we started to go down that track of touching base with the indigenous people of that area now that was a struggle in itself because i had to find out who the who the the mob were at the time because there's no longer the birigaba tribe or the mob so they're now different and the Bindal, which is um, the Gujarat um, Aboriginal Reference Group, which is um, based in Air in North Queensland, uh, it's sort of all my research sort of fed back to to them that you know they were the the mob to deal with up there. So yeah, basically we contacted Eddie Smallwood, who is the elder up there, and um, he basically was very receptive to us making inquiries and. Um, we organised a, a trip to go to Townsville and to meet them. Um, so myself, uh, the director Nathan, and also our our main cast, uh, Matt Oxley, who was going to play James Morrell. And while we were there, we, we got to know Eddie and um, Jim Gaston and also Charmaine Gurry, um, who are um, the elders for that uh, area. And um, we got to know a bit of their customs, their, their culture. They invited us into their environment. Um, we got the smoking ceremony done um, when we went to um, Bowen uh, to visit um, the serpent down there, which is a, a big um, statue of the their um, motif, I suppose you'd call it. Um, and um, Jim was kind enough to show us around Bowen to not only because I, I know Bowen myself as a, a kid, but um, the indigenous side of, of Bowen, which I didn't know. Um, so some of these things were, you know, opening my eyes now to to Bowen and, and what it means to, you know, the indigenous people as well. Um, so that was an eye opener. You know, I'd lived there for 
17 years, worked there for many years as well, but never really knew that side of things. The sacred sites that are there um, north of Bowen as well, um, like some of the, the the sacred burial areas, um, which um, were really uh, a huge eye-opener to not only me, but also to Nathan and, and Matt that came with us. So we we uh, corroborated a lot with um, Eddie and, uh, and Jim. Um, so we were just building that trust um, portfolio first to see if they, you know, like us and, you know, we can work with them. And um, it was pretty, pretty much a mutual um, understanding and uh, collaboration there. And... Um, when I first saw Eddie, uh, Eddie Smallwood, I, I saw his face and he's kind of, he looked familiar to me, you know. He's a, he's a really nice soul guy, you know, really gentle sort of guy. And I I'm, I swear I, I knew him from somewhere. And then, you know, we spent a, a good weekend up there and eventually Eddie said to me, he goes, I know you from somewhere. And I said, yes, I know you from somewhere too. <laughs> And, and we're trying to work it out. And he said, what were you, you know, do, have you lived up here? I said, yeah, I lived up here. You know, it was in Bowen and North Queensland. So we're sort of trying to nut it down to where we, you know, saw each other. So apparently, yeah, when I was with the police, uh, Eddie was actually a police liaison officer in Townsville. So, um, so that's where we connected initially years ago. And uh, we knew the police liaison officers. Um, but obviously they didn't work directly with us. We had uh, our own colleagues to work with, but they worked basically alongside us in a way, and we got to know a lot of the what we call PLOs up there. Um, so I knew Eddie, but not that that well, and then we finally clicked in it. Yeah, I know who you are now. So, um, so after that, we sort of, yeah, could relate a lot better and... Um, it was just a nice connection to be able to know um, someone from the past and um, know that they could trust us with the the content and to make a short film on not only James Morale but also to be able to represent uh, the Birugaba, um, which is part of the, the Gidgeta Reference Group Aboriginal Corporation. So... Um, so our main thing was make sure that we've got the content right, make sure we've got the story right. You know, we've got, there's lots of research material out there, newspaper articles and that, but we wanted to make sure that we were on the ground with those guys up there and that we could support their um, idea, their story as well, and to make sure that everything went through them as well, like the script, everything went through them. The translation, we had to get translation done for the short film and, a lot of um, translation has been lost. A lot of language has been lost. And, and it's no different to the Birugaba or, or Bindal group. You know, a lot of their language has been lost. Um, there has been some kept in uh, audio recordings that they may have of when the mob back in the uh, 70s or 80s used to meet and they used to record it on a cassette recorder. Um, but a lot of the translation was a big help from Charmaine Curry and um, Jim Gaston and, and Eddie again, where we went back to Townsville a few times to sit down with them, uh, do the translation that we needed to get done for the short film, uh, and also get some um, audio recordings from them. You know, we wanted to make this short film so authentic that we even wanted to get the audio recordings, the dig, the clapsticks, and the, the vocals um, from from them. So, um, and it was so important to get it from them um, and to, to collaborate with them. Unfortunately, COVID had stopped us a fair bit. Obviously, there was parts that we couldn't shoot and, and it dragged us out for so long. We couldn't get back to North Queensland because of flights. So, we're still trying to shoot the short film and we actually needed the Indigenous to play in the massacre section of the short film. And that's where we relied on Jim again to sort of give us his blessings that we could get some of the Indigenous people from Sydney 
to act as um, the Bureau of Government. So, um, and that's where we had to rely on uh, Maddie Sims from the uh, Girabal Wagara mob in south, south uh, on the south coast, who helped us liaise with Eddie and also Maddie, so that we basically had their blessings that they could act on their behalf, so we could actually you know, finish the short film, the production side. So, um, so it's, it, it, it was a huge learning curve. Uh, it was the longest short film we've ever made. Uh, we're still at the end. We still haven't finished it, but we're looking to finish it by December this year where, um, most of it's done, visual effects are done, um, most of the dialogue's done. Um, it's just a music composer we need to finish and um, also a bit of the ADR. So, um, but it's, it's it was a mammoth, mammoth journey uh, and job as a, as a short film. Um, but uh, what I've seen so far, I've got that, emotional connection with it it's gonna it's gonna pull heartstrings and um you know it's it's i just hope that we'll be able to to do it justice so yeah you're listening to perspectives in parryville So it's a historical short film based on records that that exist, but then a significant part of this particular short film is the Indigenous point of view or the Indigenous experience that you've kind of talked about quite a a bit. Um, So can you tell us more about that that element or, you know, that, that sort of, I don't know, perspective maybe or, Mm. or kind of that approach? Yeah. Um, yeah. My, when I mentioned before about um, growing up in North Queensland, um, it was the first time as a young white Australian boy going to school and having my school friends as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. You know, it's a, an experience for me. And a lot of them were such great guys you know like we bonded together we played together you know we went to school together um we mucked around together got up the mischief together so um they were no different to you know anyone else that uh you know i went to school with you know we also had our our other friends but um they were such fantastic sports people on the sports field that were fantastic you know like playing rugby league they were so skillful, um, very uh, athletic. Um, and when I came across this story, um, when Nathan sent it to me, and I, I dug into the research and found out that the you know the massacres that happened up there, and you know, there's a lot of pain related to that. And I felt that um, a lot of the friends I had like Indigenous friends and Torres Strait Islander friends from school must have had ancestors from this era. And I felt, you know, like I felt, you know, sort of sad for them. And I just wanted to be able to, you know, sort of bring that story to the forefront and be able to tell it like whenever I you know, give the elevator pitch to someone about, you know, what are you making now? You know, oh, it's, you know, the wild one, you know, it's about this. They go, wow, that's such a cool story, you know, I'd like to see it, you know. But, you know, it's it's the fact that, it, you know, we're pulling a piece of history out of what really happened and to be able to express that on the screen and get the authenticity of that. Uh, I think that's more important than just making a short film. And to basically be able to 
you know, we, we there's all you know, there's talk about, you know, the um uh you know, we need need to um you know be more supportive of indigenous and um the content and um reconciliation. Um uh, reconciliation is, is so important. Um you know it's it's having given them a fair go. It's it's not saying handing things to them. It's just giving a, a balance to things, giving perspective to things. Um, and that's what I wanted to try and do is to just bring out that, you know, bring out that history, um, make people more aware of that history. And then hopefully, you know, it may bring more people to that area and, and go and have a look for themselves, you know. Um, obviously, there's always a bit of a spin with a movie where you make something and people sort of go, oh, that's where that movie was made, you know, let's go and have a look at that place. Um, but, you know, my school friends, you know, they're, they're just ordinary people and, you know, to think, you know, I, I, I just feel so bad that you know this has happened to them or not happened to them but to their ancestors in the past you know like jim was telling us a story about you know they uncovered a a gray site you know with at least 17 18 uh skeletal remains um not far from bone or for bone itself which is one of the uh, sacred sites um and we were privileged to go out there. Not many people uh, get to go there, um, but because we're doing a story on this, um, I felt privileged to be able to be taken there and being told this um, to help us drive the story and make it authentic, give it the passion and, and the love that it deserves um, because it, it does deserve to be told. Um, and, and it's not... To the fact that you know to, to cause any you know conflict or anything it's just you know it just needs to be told you know and i think that's that's the most important thing um yeah yeah well i guess it taps into that what's the purpose of making a film in the first place you know what's why do people make short films and that kind of you know you, you're getting an audience you've got a message or you've got a a, a story to tell I guess I liked the fact that um, earlier on you were saying that you you kind of established that trust as a starting point and then you had active, almost like it's organically developing, you know, you've got, you got buy-in from more than a few people. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like, um, yeah, I, I had a connection like to the land up there and you know, that's the first time i've ever had a connection to land like i've lived you know in sydney i've lived in i've lived in uh, port macquarie i've lived in quite a few different i lived in africa you know and, and other places but in my life there i've really had a connection with the with the land and then um and also with the with the people there um and i think uh going back there every time feeling that it, it feels a little bit like home and it's strange in a way you know it, it you feel connected to that part of australia um and and to the to, to the people there um and and even with Ed, eddie and and jim you know they're such genuine people such genuine people and Charmaine, so down to earth, and they feel, you know, they feel like a part of your family. You know, they'll, you know, it's just, just a nice feeling. And um, and I suppose there's no barrier there between meeting them that you can sort of have the trust, have a connection, and um, and just feel feel at one. You know, like feel at one with them, feel at one with their their connection with the land, the the cultural side of things, and and to be given this um, opportunity, I, I think it's an opportunity because I had no idea about this story, even though I lived in that town, you know, I did my <laughs> my high school there, had no idea of the whole story. Well, I guess and that's then, the thing of history, isn't it? It's sort of like you don't always get the full picture. 
You don't, yeah. And then like 30 years later in my life, it brings me full circle back there, a connection back to that same point. Um, just like it, 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 it's like meant to be, you know. You could say it's maybe a coincidence, but I don't know. It's sometimes, you yes, know. words, I can't quite think of the words <laughs> to, to describe the, uh, these kind of coincidences or, you know, the, how everything seems to be tying in and relating together. Yeah, yeah. As uh, I remember Tony Robbins used to say, everything happens for a reason and a purpose and it's there to serve you. So and that, that's always stuck in my mind and it's like, yeah, I think this has so definitely. We we find it challenging to to break into um, to get noticed, basically um, in in Australia. Um, you know, we, I've always had this feeling that uh, it should be easy, um, but it, it's it's damn hard. It's damn hard to to break out and, and break through, um, and. You know, being a middle-aged white Australian male, it, you know, the things oh, wow, play all... on your on your mind. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, is it just me? Is it me? Is it you know? So you sort of go, do 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 do. But you sound like you've been re- reason relatively proactive and strategic in you know navigating that you know really highly competitive terrain. Yeah. Yeah, we we have the the mindset that um, okay, if we can't break through, let's just keep making content. Uh, let's just keep making short films. Let's just make what we feel we should be making. What 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 do we want to make? And and this is um, this is where filmmakers. Uh, you know they're so passionate to make things um it, it's it's something like you know why are we making it i don't know who cares let's just make it because we're passionate filmmakers you know like um whereas the wild one is it is a passion project it is really a passion project you know it's from the heart and so then what how do you finish off or resolve or or kind of consolidate a film like this like what are you how do you how do you find an audience with it or what do you do at this point from here on yeah so um so our concept basically is to to make the short film as a pitch for long form feature so that's that's the idea and that um we hope to actually um screen it in the film festivals um we've been we've been pretty unsuccessful in the Australian film festivals with all our stuff so but overseas uh, it does really well. So we're just sort of, you know, hoping that an Australian film festival will be able to pick this up and uh, we can screen it through there. And we're hoping to that we can uh, attract some attention for uh, investors that can help us with a long-form feature. Um, that, that's the main idea of the whole, the whole thing because really the short film cannot tell the complete story it cannot do it justice but the short film is basically focusing on the part where um, james makes his reconnection back to the european side but we've also got flashbacks to you know what he did 17 years leading up to that so to be able to drive the story and uh the plot um so yeah, as I said, I hope we we do it justice and and really, you know, if anyone is out there and they're listening to this podcast and they happen to know investors, um, film investors, um, look, would be happy to hear and uh, you know collaborate with or co-produce it with you because this story is worth telling um, and it's worth telling on the big screen in a, in a long form. Producers. Uh, from my perspective, and and I am I'm pedantic, and I'm I'm very conscientious, and I like to not have control on so much time, but I like to dot my eyes, cross my t's, and do everything I can to make sure that we don't trip up, to make sure we do anything that complies with, you know, the the protocols, every way possible. 
You know, we don't want to be the people at the end of the day and get the finger pointed at us saying you didn't do it right, you know, blah, blah, blah. We want to be setting uh, an example uh, and setting a standard. And, and that's uh, that's part of my makeup as a character, you know. Like sometimes I've got to say stop, Matt, stop, you know, because you're being too pedantic, you're being too much, and you've got to step back and go, well, it's, it, it's only a short film, you know, like... You just need to pull back sometimes and pull pull the reins back and just step back. Um, don't get going to a point where um, like I'm giving Nathan feedback, you know, you know, because he'll send me a draft version. This is it, you know, and I'll give him feedback and say, no, you should be doing this, and and then he'll reply really well, as in say, I like your point, but it should be this way, or he'll say, I'll take that point and I'll. I'll, I'll, I'll rejig it a bit. Um, and you've got a respectful, functional push and pull by the sounds of it. Very, very much. Yeah. Very respectful. Um, yeah. So, which, which makes us a, a good collaborative team that way, where um, we sort of know our limits very respectfully and um, we do trust each other. And um, we yeah bounce ideas off each other and uh if if he has a problem i'm the first port of call if i have a problem he's the first port of call he's the first person that he rings me you know and and vice versa so because the end of the day you know we just want to make you know we're passionate filmmakers and we just want to make content and make it the best that we can given the budget that we have as well because end of the day the budget's going to determine the quality of the film. And unfortunately, that's just a fact of life and that's what we all have. And as filmmakers, sometimes we don't have a budget. Sometimes we have a small budget, micro budget. Most of us work in a micro budget environment where, you know, you don't have a budget, um, which, you know, with the wild one, we have some budget, but it's still not great. So, but, you know, the content we're producing um, you know, we're, we're working in a way that, you know, we've got a mega budget. So on the screen, it looks mega, you know, that's our focus. That's our mentality. You know, it's got to look mega on the screen, but at the same time, you've got to also work with what you've got and what tools you have. Um, so, and that's our ingenuity, I suppose. You're just working with what you got and um, making it the best you can. In this episode, I chatted with Matthew Phillips, a media producer. You can find out more about this episode in the show notes, including more information about Trigger Media Productions and a trailer for The Wild One short film. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.